Growth hacking. It's not just for little startup SaaS companies anymore. Nope, everybody's doing it. We're going to talk to Sean Ellis, author of Hacking Growth. Check it out. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Sean Ellis. He is the CEO and co-founder of GrowthHackers.com and he's also the co-author of Hacking Growth, How Today's Fastest Growing Companies Drive Breakout Success. So Sean, thanks for joining me. Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me on. I think that going back about a year ago, I was, wasn't I on Growth Hackers for like an AMA or something? I think you were. You've been doing uh, doing those. Uh, do you do those every week? Uh, we often do two of them in a week. Oh, yeah, wow, so okay. it's uh, it's great. It's it's a, a great opportunity for the community to ask questions of interesting people and kind of get the get the learning real time. Yeah, it was fun for me because it was it's definitely. I'm I'm sure your community skews a little younger than my community sometimes, and uh, certainly younger in their ambitions for starting a business. So it was kind of fun fun energy. Yeah, that's uh, I've I've done a few AMAs myself, and yeah. you definitely get some writer's cramp by the end of uh, <laughs> a right. lot a lot of key pounding. So let's define the term growth hacking because I think it's one of those that's probably abused and misused. Absolutely, it is. Uh, it's defined about a hundred ways by a hundred different people. But as the guy who coined the term, I think um, my definition probably counts maybe a little bit more. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> So it's uh, rapid experimentation across the full customer journey. So marketing traditionally is very acquisition focused, but uh, growth hacking takes that and takes really all steps of the customer journey, increasing engagement, you know, even even revenue experiments, but really running experiments across that customer journey to grow customers and and ultimately revenue. Yeah, and I, that that expanded. Well, it's it's not expanded because, like you said, you created it. But I think, unfortunately, a lot of people have a tendency to shrink that definition to being about some clever way that they tricked people into subscribing or sharing their content or something that that wouldn't mm-hmm. have, wouldn't have happened organically. Right, and and you know the output of all of this experimentation is often pretty creative, it, clever things. But it's, uh, you know, most of the time, most of the time what you think is going to work doesn't work. And the only way to know what's going to work is to do experiments. And the more experiments you run, the more likely you're going to come across something that's really game changing for your business. So let, let me push back a little bit from somebody who is an, a longtime marketer. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, aren't we really just defining good marketing? Uh, I think we probably are. I think you're right. I think that unfortunately marketing for a lot of people has become primarily about customer acquisition and branding where, uh, you know, if you think back on the four P's of marketing, one of them is product, but product as a means of growth is something that most companies don't put a lot of investment in and they should. Yeah. I've said a long time ago, I think I wrote it in my second book that uh, the greatest source of customer acquisition is a happy customer. Absolutely. Absolutely. The fastest growing company. So when I was at LogMeIn and at Dropbox, by far the uh, our, our leading source of customers was other customers. So, so with that definition or with that sort of 
conclusion, I suppose, in mind, I, I think we could then also conclude that growth hacking is for everyone. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's done differently in really small companies or in big companies, but um, people should be holistically looking at the customer journey and think about the levers of growth as being multiple areas of that journey instead of just, you know, buying another advertisement or testing another advertisement. And, uh, and, and, you know, things you do to activate new customers are often way more powerful than just running another advertisement somewhere. Yeah, and I, and I think that unfortunately, um, it's, it's gotten a little bit pigeonholed to, you know, SaaS freemium models like Dropbox. Yeah, well, I think part of the reason that's pigeonholed there is that in SaaS, it's really clear that if you're not experimenting across that full customer journey, you are not going to be successful because if you can't retain a customer in SaaS, I mean, it, it, all businesses should focus on retention. Yeah. But it, when when you have a recurring revenue model where you're you're getting a subscription each month, when you lose those subscriptions, if you have a thousand customers and a five percent monthly churn rate. That means every month you lose 50 customers. And so if you don't add more than 50 customers, you didn't grow, you shrunk. And so it's, uh, it's, it's just a little bit more obvious in SaaS. But I think, um, I think it does apply to all businesses. It's just SaaS is kind of grabbing onto it probably faster than other, other areas. So, so if I am that more traditional business, maybe a lot of my transactions are actually face-to-face -face, uh, across the desk. How would I sort of unpack this idea of, of bringing this mindset into a business like that? Where would you start? So I would start with, um, so what you just talked about earlier, you said that customer referrals are a really important part of growth in a lot of businesses. And what drives a customer referral? A great experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think the starting point is to understand what that experience is. To understand, first of all, if you even have it. So some some products sort of have marketing as something that's trying to make up for a, uh, you know, an undifferentiated or just not very valuable customer experience. So that's the first place I always start is just understanding, does somebody consider this product a must have? And if so, how are they using it? What, what's the benefit that they're getting from it? And how can I, how can I build my customer acquisition and conversion engine to get people to that experience. And so that's that's the starting point. It's just understanding the people and the experience that they're having. Yeah, and I, I think that is such an easy thing actually for a lot of businesses to do, but it's it's a it's an afterthought so often. Yeah, because I, I I interview a lot of customers of customers. It's a process that we do to help them develop strategy. And 90% of the time, they don't know what their customers actually value and think is unique and and you know they're they're often surprised when we come back and say, "Well, here's what we keep hearing," and, right? And exactly. It's such an easy thing to do, isn't it? It is, and it's and it's something that um, that's that's a lot of what I used to do in in uh, sort of shorter term interim uh, VP marketing roles was just you find find products that do have some passionate customers and really just try to tap into what makes a passionate customer and how do we build a an engine of growth around getting more people to that great experience, getting more of the right people to that great experience. Okay. This is a fill in the blank question. You can't sure. do, you can't do growth hacking without. Yeah, with, without, uh, must have customer value. Well, I was, you're close. I was going to say without measurement. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that as well. So part, part of that then becomes, uh, becomes measuring impact on that customer value. And so that's, that's another really important part of 
of uh, actually you know, building that engine is one, how do you quantify that value? It's a pretty, pretty touchy feely thing to just say we need more value. But yeah. what the fastest growing companies like Facebook have done is that they've actually put a, a metric on, on that value, a metric on the number of people who experience that value. So Airbnb has done it, Uber's done it, and the entire company then is optimizing their day-to-day activities on increasing, increase, increasing the experience, that quantified experience that leads to more sustainable growth. Yeah, and, that, and that's a really interesting point because a lot of times when people start talking about measurement, which unfortunately a lot of marketers don't do at all, <laughs> but, right, right. But, but you certainly have a lot of people jumping on the big data train and it's like, oh, look at everything we can measure. And I think quite often they, the, their real challenge is measuring what matters. Yeah, and that's in in growth hacking in particular. There's one metric that we refer to as the North Star metric, which is that quantification of value. And once you have that metric, now you can start to think about all the other activities that you do and how they impact that metric. And through the experiments that you then start to run, it's if I do it this way or this way, which has the better impact on my North Star metric? And so that's that's where the experiment piece starts to come into play. So I can hear the wheels turning in listeners right now. How do you find that thing? How do you find the North Star metric? Yeah. So that's that's really what I was talking about where I'm I'm first trying to find the most passionate customers. And I, I do it through surveying personally. Mm-hmm. So I, I ask a single survey question, which has been really powerful for me, which is, how would you feel if you could no longer use this product? And I, I find that more powerful than just a uh, satisfaction question. Uh, and when I ask that question, I'm looking for people who say they would be very disappointed without the product. And when I when I can see those people, one, I can kind of set a benchmark and say the, the passion's really low on this product. So as a marketer, maybe I don't want to try to grow that product. Hmm. But assuming that it's relatively high, then I want to find out what is the most common benefit that these really passionate customers are finding from the product. And that's what I then build, start working outward into my messaging now, really trying to, to set that right expectation and promise for what the product's going to do, and then fine tune the delivery of that experience for all new users. Do you think you could apply this then to a non-product company? So could, could the question be something like, how, long, how would you feel if you could no longer acquire this service or do business with this company? It, is that possible? I think so. I mean, it, it becomes part of the the identity of of a business is really, you know, what I mean. Ultimately, if you're going to keep working with a company or 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 even a not, yeah, you know, if it's a service, it, it's it's a it is a benefit that you're getting from that. And so, you know, in a sense, you're sort of productizing that service, but you you want to understand. What is the collection of experiences that ultimately deliver that benefit, and how do I make sure that one customers or potential customers are aware that those experiences exist and that they'll get this benefit? And then, what are all the things that stand in the way? Where's the friction that prevents new customers from actually getting to that point? And if you can get them to that point, you're much more likely to have them stick around long term. So one of the things that I've been preaching for years is something I call the marketing hourglass, which was really my model of the journey. And it's that there's seven stages of know, like, trust, try, buy, repeat, and refer. And I find that most people uh, focus on the front end of that, <laughs> know, like, right. and trust. Um, and really the, the, the interesting thing that, that I think you're saying that no, so few people are saying in marketing is this idea that, that – the the stages I call you know buy and and repeat and maybe refer 
are really where we should be spending as much energy as in the how do we get them to click on the email. Absolutely. And, and the challenge with that is that most of those levers of growth actually don't fall within marketing sphere right, of influence. Right, they, right. they actually fall within the product team. Hmm. So how do you then take growth hacking and say, okay, that's going to be marketing, it's going to be in sales, it's going to be in customer service, it's going to be in engineering. Uh, is it possible to have an umbrella department of growth hacking? Yeah, so that's the hard part. And that's that's really, I think, Facebook deserves a lot of credit for coming up with this idea of a growth team yeah. that is a cross-functional team that basically primarily, I think the best way to think of it is kind of the interface between marketing and product. But uh, you know, essentially, marketing people are used to using data and iteration to drive a result. Product people, not as much. And so it's kind of using that marketing approach and applying it in in the product part of the business and particularly in that first user experience and it tends to work best when you have a growth team so like a head of growth and some dedicated resources to run that experimentation but clearly if you start impacting the core product experience then the head of product is going to take a, a, a pretty keen interest in what's going on and and often they're going to be pretty involved in the process and if they're not they're going to be trying to block the process a lot of times. So it's, you know, in a small company, it's maybe not so hard, but as the company gets bigger, then uh, there's, there's a lot of just uh, territorial <laughs> situations <laughs> right, where right, right. people are uh, less comfortable when someone starts to get into their area of, uh, of control. Hey, thanks for listening to the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. Um, are you an independent marketing consultant or an agency owner? You might want to check out the Duct Tape Marketing Consultant Network. It is a growing group of independent marketing consultants and agencies that are partnering and collaborating and using the Duct Tape Marketing tools and really scaling their businesses. So check it out at ducttapemarketingconsultant.com. So... A lot of businesses today have grown to the point where they are by kind of being good at a couple channels. You know, maybe it's sales, maybe it's word of mouth. Um, but growth for them, especially in acquisition or new acquisition, is going to come from maybe jumping into some new channels. So how do you recommend that people, I mean, I, I don't know, when I first started my business, uh, maybe there were five or six places we could get the word out. Now there's about 18 channels, I think. Um, mm -hmm. you know, how do you how do you prioritize, pick, you know, decide, you know, where you're going to put your energy? I mean, obviously, the place where you can get the most return, but how do you figure that out? Yeah, and so do you mean just on channels, or do you mean on both channels and within that, that user journey? Well, that's... You know, we could spend a lot of time defining, but just like even if I if I were a company and I'm I'm sitting out there going, well, gosh, should I be in Facebook or should I do AdWords or mm -hmm. should I do content marketing? You know, how do you how do you kind of make a determination? I, there's so many companies that I work with anyway that are very sales driven. They've gotten to the point where they are because they went out there and knocked on doors, and they're finding that that's kind right. of that's kind of drying up now, or it's getting harder. Right. And so now they want to go into some of these new places where they might be able to uh, get some uh, exposure. And but they but they really you know they don't know where to start. Yeah, so I mean, just in picking the external channels, I like to start with the users themselves, my existing users, and find out yeah. how do they how do they discover services like mine. Yeah. And so 
um, you know, a lot of times you'll you'll find out about channels that you may not even be aware of from your existing user base. So yeah. I, I spend a lot of time speaking with my existing customers. But the other thing is that getting that channel to work for you is often where the real challenge is. Mm-hmm. It's not just kind of a few best practice a few best practices. You need to really, really understand how that channel works. And this is where actually getting the that that customer journey right and and experimenting through that journey and I just have a really uh, simple example from log me in sure. that originally when we were trying to grow log me in I took the the, the normal marketing approach which was I'm gonna you know maybe fight for landing pages so I, I did a little fighting for control of landing pages which was not easy even in my organization but I got a subdomain to be able to do experiment on landing pages went out started testing primarily in Google, uh, Google AdWords and was able to scale to about $10,000 a month. But when I tried to spend beyond that 10,000, I, I kept, you know, losing money on every, every additional dollar I would put in there. But when I actually looked at what was happening after these people clicked over to my site and signed up for the product, majority of the people, like over 90% of the people were never actually using the product. Hmm. And so if they didn't use the product, my ability to generate ROI on that investment basically disappears and there's no positive word of mouth. There's nothing, you know, all all of these, they're not going to keep using and and more upsell opportunities. So what I would, I was fortunate that we were fairly small at that time could take the data to my CEO and say, Hey, we've got to do something about increasing the sign up to usage ratio. This, this is going to make it really hard to find uh, channels to scale this business. He looked at the data and to his credit said that we've got to optimize that first user experience and get more of these people using the product. And so in about a four month period, we were able to get a thousand percent improvement in the sign up to usage ratio. And what that actually meant to the channels was that for Google AdWords that previously scaled to $10,000 a month, now it scaled to over a million dollars a month with a three month payback on investment. And it was no new creativity, no new channels to be tested, that we were just so much more efficient in what we did after the people signed up that a whole bunch of words that were, weren't going to work for us now suddenly work for us. And the ones that previously worked, work really well now. And so I think that to me was my big aha moment in saying, if these things aren't integrated, I'm not going to be able to effectively compete. And, and that's what I repeated at Dropbox and Eventbrite and some other companies was just knowing that if you can get that first user experience right and then drive ongoing engagement and, and work some of these other levers, suddenly suddenly all the pieces start to work much better. Yeah, and what's so great about that example is that it would have also been easy for you to conclude, oh, I guess AdWords doesn't work. Exactly, and that's, that's why I, I say it as a cautionary tale of deciding which channel to use you just have to make sure that most most channels are going to be not very effective until you get that full customer journey integrated and optimized. You're you're going to probably have a real hard time in the channels. And it used to be that you could you could get away with it, um, but I think today enough companies are are working under the hood a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So those are the ones you're competing with in those channels who are who are increasing those those bids to a point where it's not effective for you anymore. Yeah. yeah. So the, uh, the that part of the customer experience, I mean, you, you, you really almost just have to take some customers and hold them by the hand and lose money on it and walk through it. And, right. Uh, and so that's where I, I laid out with startups that, that there's kind of a three-step process to bringing a company to market. The first step is just to make sure the product 
actually has anybody who's passionate about right, it. Right. And then the next is to get that initial user journey right, to get the business model right, to get essentially you know the messaging right, e- each of those pieces that are going to make it possible to scale the business. And then there's the ongoing growth hacking that you do from there where you're simultaneously testing channels, but also looking for ways within product to drive referrals and better ways to engage and convert users. So at that point, you're just looking for the highest leverage place to invest your your time and money and resources. And as I as I listen to you lay those out, a lot of companies just flip that right around, don't they? Yeah, they do. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, and and I think it, I think it's just because most of us as marketers intuitively know we should be doing those things, right. but it's just so hard to penetrate deeper into the product because of all of the uh, battles that you would have to fight. That you have complete control out in the channels to run the experiments you want to run. So it's. It, it's it's just a, it's a hard change to go through, and so I I definitely understand that. But that's that's a lot of why we wrote a book to yeah. to really try to help people navigate that. And I think a lot of companies are actually waking up to that idea where they need this they need this whether they call it a growth team or whatever they call it to have sort of a, an, an autonomous approach where they can they can fiddle with things without maybe having to break everything. Yep. Yeah. And and. You do not want to do it behind the back of a product team. You want to do it in conjunction with a product team. So they're in the loop as you're doing it. And that's why I think a lot of times you actually see these growth teams reporting into the head of product rather rather than the head of marketing. Um, The best, in my opinion, is to report into the the CEO. But uh, not everybody can can get that (laughs) benefit. So um, the second best would be into the head of product because that's usually the hardest battles to fight. So Hacking Growth uh, will be available pretty much everywhere you can find books. Yeah, hopefully it's the guide that people have been looking for, for being able to take this more integrated approach to marketing and growth. Well, great work and uh, should be something that, I, you know, what I love about this is, uh, again, we're starting to see people who are in tra- what I would call more traditional businesses that, that are embracing this idea, not as something that's you know, just for a startup product company. Yeah, it's uh, it's super powerful. I mean, D- Dropbox just hit the one billion dollar revenue run rate, and this was that was the first company where I really, from the very first day, tried to put this in place and uh, and you know built built an organization really around this, and and they continue to do really well since I moved on. Well, I know they get a little of my money every year, so I'm, I'm <laughs> and mine as well. <laughs> thanks, John. Hopefully, we'll see you out there on the road. All right, thanks, John. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I wonder if you could do me a favor. Could you leave an honest review on iTunes? Your ratings and reviews really help, and I promise I read each and every one. Thanks.